Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. So we're on part number three, and I want to do something a little bit different today. If this is your first time uh, here at a Radius, um, uh, I- I'm going to take you down a little bit different of a path today. I really work hard to make sure every message is applicable But one of the things I've been asking God to do is just give us fresh revelation because many Christians know that we're saved by grace. But what happens is oftentimes we mix the two. We mix grace and we mix law. So we often know we're saved by grace, but then either directly or indirectly, even sometimes churches do it through church membership. We try to control you, if you would. We don't have church membership, so all right. And so we try to control people by the law. And say, you can be in our circle if you do this and don't do this and do this and don't do this. But you're out of our circle if you don't look like, talk like, act like we do. Okay, so we're saved by grace. But sometimes indirectly, we put the pressure on, but we keep our salvation through the law. And I think this disqualifies us from a lot of miracles or breakthroughs or favor or blessings that God has for us. How many say I'll take one of those words, all right? Okay, all right. So let's continue to make a case for grace. And today what I want to do, because we've been talking about rightly dividing the word, okay? Let let me just do a little bit of repeat. So we have the Bible that's broken into two parts. We have the New Testament and we have the Old Testament. Next week, I'm going to really spend some time talking about the phrase rightly dividing the word. We have to rightly divide it. I'm going to talk to you about the danger that happens when we mix the two together. Now, that does not mean that the Old Testament is not valuable, but we have to use the Old Testament in the right way. Okay, The Old Testament was a covenant written to the Hebrew people. The New Testament is a covenant for you and I. The Old Testament is about laws. The New Testament is the grace dispensation. And so what I'm going to do next week is I'm going to show you illustrations from the old and then take you over to the new and show you the new story or the new way that is directly linked to those. All right. Did that make sense? Okay. so what I want to do today to kind of set that part of it up is I want to go back to the Old Testament and show you that when we begin to get a revelation of grace, we will see grace through the entirety of the word of God. So Jesus is in the Old Testament. (laughs) Let me say it another way. Grace, he's preparing the way for grace in the Old Testament. I'll say it another way. In the Old Testament, Jesus is concealed. In the New Testament, Jesus is revealed. All right? But when we see Jesus, when we really see Jesus, we'll begin to see Jesus as a typology all through the Old Testament that is pointing us toward the Son of God coming. And so we'll see the manna, the bread coming down from heaven. That is a picture of Jesus, the bread of life. And the Bible says they rejected the bread. They called it miserable bread, just like the Jewish nation would reject Jesus and call him a miserable prophet, right? And we're going to see the symbolism of the old and the new, but but the old is not 
not uh, uh, to be deleted. It's just not our system into salvation. And many people are missing miracles in their life or breakthroughs because we still have this Old Testament thinking that if I act right and I deserve a miracle, if I come to church, pray enough, read my Bible enough, then I'll be in a position for a breakthrough. You're never in a position for a miracle. Jesus is the one that qualified us for a miracle. You're never in a position based on what you do. We are based on a miracle based on what he did. Come on, everybody right okay all right so none of that was in my notes so scratch that time all right so here we go so so I want to go back and look at Dave I'm glad you're laughing all right we'll see if you're still laughing at the end so I want to go back and look in the Old Testament to a character that is I think one of the most intriguing Old Testament characters by the name of David. Anybody remember him? How many have heard of David? Even if you haven't been in church, you've heard the term David and Goliath, right? Okay, all right. And, and so uh, this is the boy. Let me give you some of his positives. So here is David. David is the guy that kills Goliath. I mean, that's mass. We still use it in sports analogies today. David, little, young, many believe he was between 14 and 17 years old, who kills this mighty warrior, Goliath. And here's David who's anointed to be king, but the present king, Saul, is chasing him through caves. And David finds Saul in a cave, and he refuses to hurt Saul. He refuses to kill Saul. As a king, he shows kindness to Saul's grandson, his friend Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, and brings this crippled boy out of the slums of Lodabar into the kingdom and treats him with royalty for the rest of his life. He's an amazing, if you don't know this about David, David is a man's man. And while he's a man's man, he still knows how to worship God. Come on now. He still knows how to play a harp. He's secure in his manlyhood. How many know you got to be pretty secure in your manhood to be able to play a harp? How many know what I'm saying, right? And so that was the electric guitar of its day, everybody, okay? So David could jam out on the guitar and worship God while he's conquering cities. He is one bad dude. Now let's talk about the other side of David. I'd say David is great, but... How many know there's always a but? You, you know what I'm saying? It's always a, there's always something. So David is all that he is. He's extremely insecure. I know this because when you study the life of David, you'll see some of the insecurity in his life. And maybe it takes one to know one. Because of my insecurities in my life, I've picked up on some in David's life. When Saul, or excuse me, when Samuel came to Jesse, David's father's house, to choose the next king of Israel, Jesse brought all his sons into the house, but didn't even call David into the lineup. And so he's insecure that he's not enough. He's too small. He's too weak. He's not fast enough. He's not strong enough. Or if we contextualized it, he's not spiritual enough. He doesn't go to church enough. He doesn't read out of the right translation of the Bible. He doesn't have a big enough bumper sticker on his car that says, I love Jesus. You get what I'm saying? So, so David, he doesn't qualify in his father's eyes. He doesn't even get to be in the lineup to be considered to be the next king of Israel. So he has all these, he has all these insecurities and, and he has all these father wounds in his life. And we'll see that played out in his life. One is that he becomes a womanizer. David becomes this 
amazing, like he, he's this womanizer after God tells him, don't take women from any of the, uh, of the places that you conquer. Yet David took wives from every place that he conquered. So he's trying to find what he missed from his dad. He's trying to find in one night stands with women. Come on, I want to go down a path, but I won't, all right? David not only is insecure and it shows up in his work ethic, though it's a positive, it has roots in negative because he's an overachiever and he's a womanizer. It, it points towards his insecurities. Not only that, anybody know that David was a peeping Tom? Did anybody know this? This is before you could click on the internet. David pulls his curtain and sees Bathsheba taking a bath, and he's, he's looking at her and lusting after her. And that whole Bathsheba incident is just crazy. He commits adultery with Bathsheba. And then he has Bathsheba's husband killed on the battlefield. I mean, this is like a soap opera. How many know what I'm saying, right? I mean, this is crazy kind of uh, prime time television going on. So here's David. He has some good, but this boy, he's got some skeletons in his closet. Am I right? And here's what blows my mind about David. When you read about David, the scripture declares David a man after God's own heart. What? David was highly favored. David was blessed. How could that be? I mean, he broke all of the law. He went and ate the communion when he wasn't supposed to. I mean, David, if you look at the life of David, David did all kind of things wrong. And I know all of you that are so holy can't relate. But let the guy today wearing the microphone be able to relate. It is wonderful news to know that I can still be blessed just like David was blessed, even though I got skeletons in my closet. Can anybody relate, right? Let me prove it to you. Watch this. The Bible calls David the man after God's own heart. What? The guy that committed adultery the peeping tom the pre-pornography guy the i mean this is the guy that commits murder this is the guy that's so insecure this is the guy that's a guy after god's own heart here's what acts tells us in first chapter 13 verse number 22 it says after removing saul he made david their king god testifies concerning him so god is talking about david all right, come on now. I have found David, the son of Jesse, watch this, a man after my own heart, and he will do everything I want him to do. That verse grips me because I know the history of David, yet God himself is testifying about David that he's a man after my own heart. And if you study the life of David, despite all of his mess-ups, he had favor on his life, he had miracles in his life. Come on, everybody. Yeah, and so there, there, there's a blessing on David's life despite all of his mess-ups. And watch this. Here's the part I want you to connect. So if David had it, the Bible says that God is no respecter of persons. Woo, come on now. That means we can be blessed even though we mess up. I'm going to prove it to you through Scripture because some of you are looking at me like, well, okay, if you don't want to be blessed, sit there and don't be blessed. But for those that want to be blessed, come on and join the journey with me, all right? Because I believe despite our skeletons, despite our mess-ups, despite our insufficiencies, you and I can have favor and blessings because it's not based on what we've done. It's not based on right behavior. It's based on right believing. And right believing says you will know the truth, Jesus, and the truth, come on, will set you free. 
Am I right about it? Come on and give the Lord a good hand. So it's all about, it's all about learning how to live under God's grace. If this message rocks your world, probably you grew up in legalistic Christianity. And so I would challenge you to go back on our webpage and listen to our teaching on the entirety of the book of Galatians and the rest of this series. Okay, let's look at David. This psalm that he wrote, it, most of you know that David wrote most of the psalms. They were songs, they were poems, okay? And so David writes this very interesting song, or psalm, um, when he is being pursued by Saul. He's living in caves, hiding out, and watch what he writes. Chapter 132 of Psalms is very powerful. Watch what it says. It says this, Lord, remember David and all his self-denial. He swore, he is David, he swore an oath to the Lord, he made a vow to the mighty one of Jacob. He's talking to God. God, I promise you this. Here's what he says. I will not enter my house or go to bed. I will allow no sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids till I find, watch this, until I find a place for the Lord. Now time out and I'll read the rest of that. In the Old Testament, God dwelt in a tabernacle, in a physical place. He dwelt on Mount Zion. He dwelt in the tabernacle. He dwelt in the Holy of Holies. He dwelt, he, he, his presence is symbolic in the Ark of the Covenant. So God dwelt in a place, a physical place. Everybody with me? That's Old Testament. New Testament, come on. How many know that in New Testament, we are all temples of the Holy Spirit? New Testament, He lives and dwells in all of us. In the Old Testament, He lived in a place. You have to go to the place to visit with God. In the New Testament, He lives and dwells in us. He doesn't live in this room called the church. Because this building isn't the church. We are the church, and God's here because we brought Him here living in us. So if just two or three of us gather together in His name, He will be in the midst of us, right? Okay, we, we, we following that? Okay, so in the Old Testament, you had to go find God. In the New Testament, we are all temples of the Holy Spirit. He is with us. It's why Jesus said this. It's Jesus, when He's getting ready to leave the earth after His, uh, after his death and resurrection, He says to His disciples, John chapter number 14, 15, and 16, He says this. He says, it is better for me to go away because right now I'm only in the flesh. And I can only, you, you can only be around me as I travel. But there's thousands upon millions of people coming that can't be around me. So it's better that I would leave and I will send another not to live with you, but to live in you. Everybody follow me? Am I going too deep on you? Okay, you got, okay. I, I didn't want that to be, I, I didn't want to insult you by, with that. But till I find a place. So David is trying to find a place for God. It's like he's an Old Testament real estate agent or something, all right? So, so it says, he says, I'm trying to find a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. Oh, wow. Okay, so David is talking about, what he's talking about is bringing the Ark of the Covenant. So let me give you a little history. The Ark of the Covenant had been stolen. The Ark of the Covenant was no longer in the tabernacle where God dwelt. So this bothered David that the ark, huh, let me say it another way, this bothered David that the presence of God was no longer dwelling in the house of God. Ah, 
Come on, somebody. All right, I've got to leave that alone. All right. So David was talking about bringing the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, the holy city in the Old Testament. Okay? So give me a picture. I want to give you a picture of the Ark, and we're going to talk about So here's the Ark of the Covenant. Anybody ever seen Raiders of the Lost Ark? Anybody seen that movie? Come on. What in the world? Where are you guys? Come on, one more time. Ark of the Raiders of the Lost Okay, thank you. I was like, man, these people are way too spiritual for me to be preaching to, all right? Okay, so (laughs) Raiders of the Lost Ark, okay? Here's the Lost Ark. It was literally lost. Now, this is not a replication of the Lost Ark. I mean, no, that does not look like that at all. But this is a good representation, and I wanted it here today because I want to talk to you about the Ark. So, the Ark of the Covenant was to sit in the tabernacle of God, If you know the tabernacle, I'm not here to teach on the tabernacle, but there's an outer court, there's the holy place, and there's the holy of holies. And there's there's certain furniture and different things that you do in different parts of the tabernacle that are symbolic of our spiritual journey. Psalms 100 says, I will enter His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter His courts with praise. That tells me that if I'm just even going to get in the presence of God, I've got to be thankful. Anybody thankful for anything? Come on. I've got to praise Him because He's a great God. And then there's a place for me to wash my hands in the tabernacle. And there's a place for me to have communion. But in the Holy of Holies sat the Ark of the Covenant. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. The Ark was behind the veil, okay? So there was a veil that only the high priest could go behind the veil and visit the presence of God on behalf of the congregation of God. But when Jesus died on the cross, He rent the veil. No longer are we have to depend on one high priest, but in the New Testament, we are all a royal priesthood. In other words, we all have access into the presence of God. Okay, all right, let's talk about this ark here. Let's talk about how it's made, uh, because the book of Exodus tells us how the ark was constructed. Hang with me. I know this feels a little bit like Bible history class, but let me connect some dots, all right, everybody? So the box, the box, the, the box of the ark, uh, it, it, it was made of acacia wood, all right? And so it's the most incorruptible wood that we know. So it's an incorruptible wood. So the ark was made of a certain kind of wood, and, uh, and then it was covered in gold. So the gold represents divinity, all right? So, so let me say it this way. The wood was overlaid with gold, which is a picture of Jesus. It's incorruptible and it's divine at the same time. Let me say it another way. It's 100% human and it's 100% wood because the ark is given as a picture of who Jesus is. And Jesus was lost... (laughs) I know that sounds funny, doesn't it? Jesus was no longer dwelling in his appropriate place. How many know we can stick a cross on a church and call it the first church of and put God's name on it, but it does not mean that Jesus is dwelling in that place. Let me say it another way. It does not mean that Jesus is grace, and it does not mean that grace is in the place. Come on, everybody. We can have church and not have grace. 
So that's how it's made. Okay, so that's the art. Everybody with me? It's a picture of Jesus. And Jesus has been, next week I'll connect all the dots. There's all kind of shadows in the Old Testament, which are little commercials pointing toward Jesus in the New Testament. Okay, so let's hurry up. That's the box. It's wood and gold. It's divine and it's human. Jesus was both 100% human. He was 100% divine. Then we have the lid. The lid is very interesting. The lid was made of a solid slab of gold, and I won't get into all how they made it, but they hammered it and chiseled it and all of that. In the Hebrew language, uh, it means kapaneth, which means mercy seat. So the top of the ark with the cherubims on it, the angels, that's called the mercy seat. Everybody with me? So we got the ark. The lid of the ark is the mercy seat. Okay? Uh, Now, Now let's get down to what's inside the ark. Why was Indiana Jones so interested in finding the the lost ark? Because there was some things in it that pointed backwards to the Old Testament that shows us a picture that is huge. So there's three things that are in the Ark of the Covenant that we know through Scripture, okay? Here they are. Number one, they're not in here, so everybody's on the edge of their seat like, oh, they're in there. No, they're, they're not. We would really be the church if we had them in, right? <laughs> all right? So there's nothing. See? Okay. All right. All right. But we're going to pretend they're in there, all right? That's why I wanted this up here. So in the Ark of the Covenant was three things. Number one is there was the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were in the Ark of the Covenant, all right? Now, I would love to do a teaching on all three of these items. Today's not that day, but let me tell you what they represent. This, the Ten Commandments that are in the ark, follow me now, they represent man's inability to keep God's law. They're in the ark. Watch this. They're in Jesus. In Him we live. And in Him we move. And in Him we have our very salvation, our very being. So the man's inability to keep the law. Come on, is anybody connecting the dots? Old Testament, I can't keep the law. New Testament, in Jesus, I'm going to be covered. Come on, all right? Okay, so that's, that's one. Number one is the Ten Commandments. Number two is Aaron's staff. And this one gets kind of complex, so let me just skim the surface of it. This speaks of man's rebellion against appointed leadership. That's a tough one to preach in today's day because there's a lot of abusive leadership. But God had appointed a high priest. He appointed leadership, and the people of God rebelled against that. Okay, so we have, we have the Ten Commandments, which represents man's rebellion against God's law. We have Aaron's staff. It's pretty fascinating. You can read about it in Numbers chapter number 17. Uh, where he puts the staff by the ark in the Holy of Holies, and overnight all 12 tribes have it in there, and Aaron's staff buds and produces fruit. Okay, whole other story, sorry. Okay, so, the, so we have Aaron's staff, we have the Ten Commandments, and then third is we have a gold pot of manna. That's in here, a gold pot of manna. Anybody watch the Ten Commandments? Charlton Heston, right? Manna come down from heaven. Okay, so they saved a jar, they put it in here, and it it speaks of man's rebellion against God's provision. So inside the box, we have man's rebellion against God's law, we have man's rebellion against God's authority, we have uh, man's rebellion against God's provision. Wow. Let me talk about the manna for just a minute. Manna, in, it rained down manna from heaven for 40 years. And none of them, watch this, were sick or malnourished for 40 years. 
You go eat Wonder Bread, come on, for 40 days and come back and tell me how you feel, right? So they ate this bread come down from heaven for 40 years. Yet watch this. Remember I said that the bread was a symbol of Jesus? The bread that comes down from heaven? Watch. And they have the audacity to call the miracle of manna miserable food. Uh, Let me read it to you. Numbers chapter number 21. Hang with me. They spoke against God and against Moses and said, why? There's all the rebellion. There, There they are. The Ten Commandments, the authority. And why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? There is no uh, where there's uh, there is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. A picture of what's going to happen when Jesus, the bread of heaven, comes to earth. We detest the religious leaders detested this miserable teaching of Jesus. Woo wee! Come on now, are you learning anything? Now, here's what I find interesting about this. It's interesting that God puts inside this ark, he puts everything that represents man's rebellion. Rebellion against God's law, rebellion against God's authority, rebellion against God's provision. Now watch this. Once a year was a day called the Day of Atonement. Everybody still tracking? So once a year, the high priest was allowed to go into the Holy of Holies behind the curtain where the Ark of the Covenant was and where the mercy seat was there he would shed blood, uh, he, he, he would bring a sacrifice and put the sacrifice on the mercy seat. The, the, he would place the blood sacrifice on the mercy seat, and as a sacrifice, it was a sacrifice for the sins of the people. Okay, now let me tie some things that you've heard me talk about in this series together. Okay, uh, so I've talked about the bells and the pomegranates. Please hang with me. I hope I'm not overdoing this. Exodus chapter number 26. So the high priest is getting ready to go behind the curtain, offer a blood sacrifice, because without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sins, on behalf of all the people, once a year, for the atonement or the forgiveness of sins. Now how many know that's a pretty important day not to miss church? Because the pastor, if you would, is going back behind this special curtain to offer a sacrifice for all of our mistakes for the whole year. And we want that sacrifice to be accepted. Am I right about it? Okay, so he would put on a special garment called the priestly garments. All of the pieces of the garment represent a picture of Jesus or New Testament grace. I'll teach on that on another day. But let's just take a piece of it that you've heard me talk about before. Exodus 28, 34, and 35. The gold bells and the pomegranates are to alternate around the hem of the robe. Remember that? The bells represent the the gifts of the Spirit. The pomegranates represent the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit uh, and the the gift should always be tempered by a fruit. That's why uh, 1 Corinthians 13 says, What does it profit me if I can prophesy, gift, but I don't have love, fruit, right? I am just a clanging cymbal, right? If there's no pomegranate, there's just a bunch of noise. If there's no love in the church, there's just a bunch of rhetoric. Hello, somebody. If there's no legacy offerings that go back into the community, we're just another subculture in the community. All right, all right, okay, here we go. Aaron must wear it when he ministers. The sound of the bells will be heard when he enters the holy place before the Lord and when he comes out so that he will not die. This is kind of a weak translation. It's really so that we know that he did not die. 
because I'm waiting to find out if my sacrifice is acceptable to God so that I can live another year conscious free. And so I'm listening to hear if Aaron is still clinging inside the curtain. Right, everybody? Come on now. All right, so hold that thought. So when the blood was applied to the mercy seat, the blood covered, what did it cover? It covered the rebellion of man. It covered the breaking of the law. It covered the rebellion against God's provision. In, in other words, those things are symbolic of all of our sins and all of our shortcomings and all of our rebellion. But when the blood was applied on the Day of Atonement, it was covering our mistakes. We are no longer living in the New Testament by what we do. We are covered and we are living in Christ Jesus. That's why you qualify for favor, everybody. Come on now. All right? It was in the box. All the rebellion is in the box. All of our sin, come on, is in Christ Jesus, was put on Christ Jesus on the cross. When I ask Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, I am now in Him, covered. That's why the church always talks about this blood thing. We are in His blood. Therefore, you need to start qualifying yourself for the blessings and the miracle of God because it's not about what you did. All your stuff is in Jesus and covered in the blood. That qualifies you for a breakthrough and a miracle in your life. Come on, everybody, right? Okay, now watch this. 1 John 2, 2 says this, For He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the world. That scripture in original, it says He is the propitiation. Anybody ever heard that word? Propitiation means, here's what it means. Watch this. It means, come on, give me the next one. It means mercy seat. He is the mercy seat. He is the covering. Come on. He is the sacrifice for all of my sins. Come on. So the ark is a shadow of Jesus. Woo! Now, let's go back to Raiders of the Lost Ark because there's a whole bunch of things that Hollywood gets wrong. But here's one thing Hollywood got right. How many? Let me see the Raiders of the Lost Ark people again. All right. Okay. So remember when they finally got the ark and they opened it up? Come on, show me that picture. It might remind you of something. Remember this scene right here? If you can't handle it, just hide your eyes. I had a worse one, but I told Jake to take it down and put a comical one up. Remember when they opened the ark, the people started melting? Well, they had a little bit wrong. There wasn't evil spirits in there. Why did people die? Believe it or not, Hollywood got this picture right. They got it right. Is anybody interested why? Because when you remove the mercy seat, when you remove the grace, when you remove Jesus, we are no longer hidden in Jesus, and we are open to judgment, and judgment always brings death. But in Him we live, and in Him we move, and in Him we have our very being. Come on, somebody! Yeah! Now, if you don't think this is scriptural, let me just give it to you scriptural. 1 Samuel chapter 6, it says, But God struck down some of the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh, putting 70 of them to death. Why? Because they looked into the ark of the Lord. Come on, Indiana Jones, read your Bible. <laughs> right? I guess he did. He closed his eyes. Because when you remove the covering, when you remove the blood, when you remove the grace, I would submit... 
that we have hundreds of thousands of church services going on all over just our nation. We have the tabernacle erected. We have the floors mopped. We have the Bible being preached. But my question, is the Ark of the Covenant still in the house of God? Is the message of grace still in, come on, the house of God? Because we are covered because of His grace. Come on, everybody, right? Okay, so let me go back. Let me go back to David. The Ark has been captured and taken. And now, where David wanted to bring it is important. All right, this is good. David wanted to return the ark. If you read the rest of 132, David is out there getting the ark. There's a song we sing here. It says, I found your grace in an open field. And I always wondered, uh, remember that song, Head to the Heart? I found your grace in an open field. And it sounds kind of like a real hippie-ish song, like, whoa, I was just like walking through the field, dude, and I seen your presence. <laughs> That's kind of what that song sounds like. And it's like, why is that line in there? These guys are like whacked or something. But when they found the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant had been abandoned in an open field. It's, the, it's what the name of the place they found it means. I won't take you there, but it means open field. And so they found the grace in an open field. It was not contained. Oh. Okay, okay, I got to go on. Okay, Psalms chapter 132. I'm having fun. Is anybody else having fun? Okay, <laughs> Psalms chapter 132. Somebody said, me? All right, 132. Let's look at verse number 13. Because David captures the ark. Remember that? They were bringing it back, and one guy touched it and died. Anybody know that story? Okay, it's in your Bible. Okay, for the Lord has chosen, watch this, the Lord has chosen Zion. Oh, I'm getting ready to blow your minds. The Lord has chosen Zion. It's actually a mountain. It's actually Mount Zion. Has anybody ever heard that term, Mount Zion? Let me see your hands if you've ever heard that term. Okay, the Lord has chosen. The Lord chose it. The Lord chose where He wanted to dwell. David didn't choose. The Lord chose where He wants to dwell. And I'd submit to you, He still chooses where He wants to dwell to this day. Oh, watch this. He has desired it for His dwelling, saying, This is my resting place. For how long? I want my grace, I want it to reside in a particular place, and I want it to be there forever and ever. No matter what century you're in, no matter what cultural uh, fads are happening, no matter if we sing out of hymn books or screens or bands or choirs, there's something I want to be in the house in Mount Zion forever and ever. This is where I want to dwell, forever and ever. Everybody with me? Ever and ever in the Greek means ever and ever. Okay? Here I will sit enthroned. God is saying, this is where I'm going to be. If you want to find me, here's where I'm going to be. Ugh. Mount Zion. You know what Mount Zion represents? It represents grace. And it represents the birth of the modern day church. Hold on. Mount Sinai, it represents the law. That's where Moses got the law. Mount Zion represents grace because that was the birth, Acts chapter 2, of the New Testament church and the Holy Spirit came down and the church was birthed. Come on, anybody know that? All right, oh, let me go back and connect one dot real quick. To, okay, so remember when I said a couple weeks in a row, I said when Moses, the day of Passover in the Old Testament, and, and, and so there's the day of the Passover, the blood is shed. 50 days later, he goes up to Mount Zion. Mm -hmm. He gets the law. 
And 50 days after Passover, Mount Zion, 3,000 people die. Move forward to the New Testament. Jesus ascends up into heaven. 50 days after his Passover, Peter gets up on Mount Zion and preaches, and 3,000 people are saved. Come on, man. Are you hearing what I'm saying today? And in that moment, Jesus tears open the curtain because no longer do we have to depend on a person or, our, or the law to get the favor and the blessing and the presence of God in our life. Now, let me show you this because I've mentioned this a couple of times without giving you scriptural support. So give me about five minutes and I'll be out of your way, okay? So Jesus dies on the cross and everybody preaches, well, he went down into hell and defeated death, hell, and the grave. Yes, but he's also the high priest, and he has to apply the blood, right? And the people are waiting around to hear the sound, if I could, of the bells and the pomegranates. They're waiting for a sound to hear if the blood has been applied and if it's been accepted. So let me take you behind the scenes of what we know as the Easter story, Revelation chapter number 5. Okay, Revelation chapter number 5. I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writings on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Time out. God is sitting in his throne room and he has a scroll in his hand. It is the title deed to your soul and my soul. It is the title to your destiny and my destiny. It is the will and testament of God. Ugh. And a will cannot be read until somebody dies. And a will cannot be uh, uh, accepted until somebody dies. So God is not even able to open the scroll and read his will. What is his will? That all men would be saved. He can't even read the will that it's his will that all men be saved. But we need an advocate to be able to read the will. Come on, where are my legal people? Come on now. All right, so watch this. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice. If you read the rest of that chapter, they're all gathered around the throne. They're sad. Jesus just died. God can't even open the title deed to our soul because it's Old Testament. But Jesus just transitioned from the old to the new because he died and defeated death, hell, and the grave. And now Old Testament picture is now applying the blood, Revelations 5. Come on, you with me? Watch this. And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look at it. No one was worthy. No one was perfect. But let me tell you about a man named Jesus. Come on, because the story changes. Hollywood can't even write this stuff. Watch. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll. The scroll is important because it's our eternal destination, right? Watch this. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Uh-oh, come on, the music just changed. dun da 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 Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed and he is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. Come on now. Woo! Now watch this. I'm a believer that when that happened, the, the, the 120 were in the upper room, Acts chapter number 7, waiting to hear. Remember Jesus said, don't you leave. Don't go preach. Don't talk about my resurrection. Go on the, in the upper room, in the in the outer courts, on Mount Zion, this thing called the church, 
The church is where I want to dwell forever and ever. The church, not a building no more. It is in my people. I want my grace to dwell with my people forever and ever and ever. And I want the world, when they're looking for answers, not to come to a church and find the law. I want them to come to a church where I dwell forever and ever and find grace. Because in grace, we are set free. And in grace, we have unmerited favor. And in grace, we can have miracles. And in grace, we are qualified. Come on now. Woo! Oh, I love that. Yes, I love that. Okay, I got to hurry. All right. So here's, let me just give you three things to end with. These will be quick, I promise. You getting anything? Okay, that was a great history lesson, Ken. No, it was more than that. It means you're qualified. Grace, remember I talked about it last week. You were disqualified if you had leprosy. Jesus came along and said, the first thing, he healed the man of leprosy. He said, you're qualified. You're disqualified according to the law, if you, the woman with the issue of blood. But Jesus steps and says, no, you're qualified. Hey, could I tell everybody in this room something? You're qualified. Quit trying to qualify for blessings. Quit trying to qualify for healing. Quit trying to have enough faith. Here's my problem with faith teachers, all right? I love them. They've helped us a lot. But you can't have faith in faith. Where is my faith? My faith is in grace. Uh, that, somebody just missed that. That was, that was huge. That was worth the whole price of admission right there. Your faith is in grace. Because grace says I don't deserve it. Grace is unmerited favor. So my faith is not in what I've done. My faith is in what Jesus has done. And I'm in him. And I'm in grace. Oh, man. Come on. Okay. I got to end. I got to end. I know. I know. It's a disease I have. All right. So here's the three. Here's what I want you to do about it. All right. Here's what I want you to do about it. Here's how I want you to apply. David, with all his mess ups, had God's blessings. I want you to leave here not having a sin consciousness. I want you to leave here having a righteous consciousness. Because a sin consciousness will always talk about what you've done wrong. But if you've given your heart and life to Jesus, you are now made right. We talked about all that last week. You are in right standing because of Jesus, which that alone qualifies you for the blessings that David got are going to be on you. I'm going to show you one more thing David said. And if, I haven't, if this don't blow your mind, I give up. <laughs> go home and watch cartoons. All right? I, I, I don't even know. All right, here we go. Here's what I want you to do. Number one. I want you to live knowing your sins and rebellion. They're covered in Jesus. Doesn't that make you want to praise Jesus? Because you know your mess-ups. The worse you are, the more you ought to praise, because there's a whole bunch of stuff in here. Come on now. Some of y'all call you out. You ought to be doing a dance up here. Come on now. All right? So your rebellion is in the box. All right, I'm just messing with you. Again, for scripture reference, Acts chapter 17, in him we live and move and have our very being. We're in him. Mark told me the other day, he said, can it be like you're under an umbrella? I'm in him, okay? So that's what I want you to do, number one. Number two is I want us to bring grace back to the church. David, you know why David was blessed? Because he was adamant that Jesus was coming back to the building. 
It doesn't matter if we meet in the back of a Mexican restaurant or an outside tent. As long as we have Jesus, the message of grace, not a religious message, a message of grace. Come on, Jesus is in the house. So let's preach messages that are life-giving. Does anybody feel better about yourself today than you did when you came in? That's what grace does. Have you ever been to church where you feel worse about yourself when you leave? That's not grace. That's Mount Sinai, the law. This is Mount Zion, grace. Okay? Watch what David says, and I'll close. David says this, However, to the one who does not uh, work but trust God, who justifies the ungodly. So we're not working, we're trusting God. Okay, Their faith is credited as righteousness. Just by trusting. Our faith is credited as righteousness, and I'm in Jesus. That's why I can say you can get a miracle. You can get a breakthrough. Okay. Watch this. David says, watch what David says, the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one whom God credits righteousness apart from works. You're righteous apart from works. Come on, I'm reading the Bible, everybody. All right? Okay, watch this. This is powerful. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered whose sins are covered, blessed is the one whose sins the Lord will never count against him. Woo! Well, Ken, how can you say we can be blessed? Because it's right here. Blessed is the one whose sins the Lord will never count against him. Why? Because it's under the mercy seat of Jesus. It is in Jesus. It was on Jesus. And now I'm in Jesus. And I'm righteous because of Jesus. I am blessed because of Jesus. I am favored because of Jesus. I am healed because of Jesus. I'm going to heaven because of Jesus. This thing is all about Jesus, everybody. Come on and give him a good hand. It's all about Jesus. And then number three, and we're out of here. (laughs) Become a person after God's own heart by putting Jesus back in the center of your life. Amen, everybody. Come on. All right. Did you get anything out of that? If you didn't, I don't know what else to do. All right? I'm just having fun. Would you guys stand with me, please, and let me let you be on your way.